Today, I, I want us to turn to 1 Timothy, as Lucy read from us, in chapter 4, 1 through 5. Um, as we do today, I, I, I want to go back to a time when I was around 7 or 8. Um, I've got uh, several siblings. I've got a twin brother. Uh, I've got two older sisters, one that's 9 years older than me and one that's 11 years older than me. And so when I was around seven or eight, my oldest sister had gotten married. She had taken a trip, her and her newly married husband. They had gone to um, somewhere with an ocean. I I forget where, uh, but I think like Cancun or something. And I remember as a young kid um, seeing my mom on the phone with my sister, knowing it was her, and there was some some tears, and, and it was like, oh my goodness, type of stuff, and I can't believe that, and, and so I'm on the other line, like, what, what, what is she talking about, and I remember as a young kid just wondering, and then she got off the phone, and she told me what had happened, and my sister and her husband had gotten on some rafts, okay, and, and they had gotten just on the shore, and were in the waves, and just kind of laying on these rafts, and um, they were kind of weary, and, and the sun had kind of beaten down, down on them too much, and so they gotten tired, and and what had happened is they just started drifting out into the ocean. And my sister realized after a while that, wow, I, I can't see the shore anymore. And I'm pretty far out. She was young. She was 18, newly married, all excited. And realized, what am I going to do? And so she started waving to the shore Thankfully, a lifeguard saw her and was able to get to my sister, but her husband, nowhere to be found, could not find him, and so, of course, you can imagine her being in distraught, and finally, and I forget the length of time, but it was a pretty good length of time, they were able to rescue him as well. He had drifted quite a bit more out to where they couldn't even see him, and they found him, and I remember just how... They were horribly sunburned and, and, and in a pretty rough condition being out there that long and just uh, totally getting confused and, and, and by the sun and by their weariness. Um, but they had drifted without even knowing it. Um, today, as we look at this text, that's what Paul addresses, uh, a drifting. Sometimes to where we don't even know it, many times that's the case and that's what happens. And there's this drifting that's going on when it comes from the truth of God and what God teaches, and specifically what God shows us and teaches us about what he has created, what he has created for his glory and also for our good to be enjoyed and and celebrated. And this includes, includes marriage and the gift to marriage, which is sex as well. So this is a sensitive topic this morning. I sent out e-news this week. Hopefully you got that in the bulletin as well just to kind of give you a heads up. So I'm always want to be careful with that with hearers that we have in here, children and students as well, that uh, as we talk about this. But it's something we definitely want to talk about because the Word of God talks about it. And the Word of God talks about it being something that trains us up in righteousness for everything, for every good work and everything that God has created especially. So we want to be careful that we do not drift when it comes to truth. And so Paul addresses that with the church at Ephesus and specifically to this young pastor, Timothy. And so look at verse 1 and how he addresses this. He says, but the Spirit 
explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith. And so Paul comes with this warning to the church at Ephesus and to Timothy. He tells Timothy that the Spirit explicitly says. And what does that phrase there mean? I, I think it refers to something that's been prophesied in the past, spoken in the past by the Spirit of God. I think specifically referring to what Scripture says and what Jesus says as the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And so Jesus most definitely talked about false teachers. He talked about false teachers coming and speaking lies to cause some to fall away from the faith. Literally the idea of abandoning their faith in Jesus. And he says right here that this would happen in later times, meaning the time period between when Jesus came um, from heaven to earth to the time when he would uh, return, which was not yesterday. All right, we got that? We're cool on that? Okay. Um, and so well, he will come again, and he will come again. A time where we won't expect, but the Bible says he will come soon. So we definitely wait for that, anticipate that, long for that, for his coming. Um, Paul had summed up to the church in just the chapter before this confession of the church, of this mystery of godliness. And so what had happened is the church had drifted. Some had drifted, false teachers had come in, and so he wanted to warn them. Listen to what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, just a verse before. He says that he who was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And so Paul shares the church's confession, this mystery of godliness that is to mark their life. And this is the truth they are to stand on about Jesus Christ. Yet they had drifted away from him and his teaching. And there will be those who will slowly drift away from this confession, some that maybe we even know that will fall away from the truth of God, not even knowing that they are drifting when it comes to certain beliefs that are false, that go against the teaching of Christ. It can happen. And so we must be on guard as well, lest we be tempted to drift from the word of God. Now, the question is, what, what belief, what, what, what falsehoods are, are they believing or what falsehoods are being taught that are causing some to potentially drift and some that that have away from the truth of God and so look at verse 2 and 3 he says that they are paying attention to deceitful spirits doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. And, and so what was this warning that the Spirit explicitly said, this will happen, that some will fall away? Well, he gives this pretty graphic illustration of the degree of, of the evilness of this. We'll talk about that in a second. But, but what was the falsehood? What was the false teaching? Paul was warning Timothy in the Ephesians about asceticism. It's not something we talk a lot about or maybe even maybe some of us maybe not even familiar with that term. But asceticism is the idea that abstinence from physical things is essential for spiritual purity. 
It's essential for, for godliness is what they were, were teaching. And so specifically, these teachers said, one must not marry. And really, the idea that's implied here is, is one must not enjoy the sex of marriage as well, nor eat of some foods. Now, what did this look like in Paul's day? And what does it even look like maybe in our day before? In Paul's day, some of the Essene Jews would teach that any kind of pleasure is evil. And so kids, we're not going to Hawaiian Falls, that type of evil. You can't have that kind of fun. Uh, if Tim Hawkins makes a joke, don't laugh, all right? I mean, it's that kind of thing. Um, they also taught, the Esslings did, to neglect marriage. Can you imagine that? To neglect it. The Greeks taught that the physical world was evil, completely evil. The Gnostics would teach that the material world was evil and that the spiritual should avoid it all together. And so these were beliefs that were creeping in and, and teachings that were coming into the church. And we've seen it even in more recent days with the Catholic Church saying that sexual love is evil in past times, preferring extermination to sexual love. They taught virginity as being superior to the state of marriage. They would even prohibit sexual activity for married couples over 50% of the days on the calendar. No wonder you had a reformation, right? No wonder... Right? You come back to the Word of God. That's the point. You come back to the Word. Because the Word doesn't teach that. And so you, you have these teachings that would creep in. Paul says such teaching, such thinking is demonic. It's demonic. Asceticism is because God is never properly worshipped by the denial of his good gifts for what he has created them for. He says such teaching and thinking comes through what? Hypocritical liars? Literally double liars is the idea of that term there. The teaching is seared in their conscience as with a hot iron, meaning they had no guilt. They had no remorse over the teaching and adhering to it and living according to it. They knew the truth, but now their conscience was scarred with this thinking, this way of teaching. Martin Luther addressed this. He said, it is the nature of all hypocrites, false prophets, to create a conscience where there is none. And to cause conscience to appear where it need not exist. Let me read that again. It is the nature of all hypocrites, false prophets, to create a conscience where there is none and to cause conscience to appear where it need not exist exist. And that's what was happening with asceticism in Paul's day. It was attracted to some because it would ease one's conscience as they would abstain from, from things. And it would make them feel good. And they felt more spiritual. But this was not the way of Christ. And so what's the truth? And you look at chapter 4 and verse 3 through 4. Listen to what he says. He's, he's talking about marriage and specifically the idea implied here is the, the gift of sex to marriage. He's talking about some foods as well. And so he says these are things that God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything that's created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. And so first, 
We take food. The second thing he says here to address this, he says, God created all food to be what? To be enjoyed. Not to be gluttons, obviously, but to gratefully enjoy food. So you can enjoy that, that steak, right? You can go to Chewy's and enjoy the jalapeno ranch dip, okay? You can do that. Jesus told Peter this in Mark 7, 19 through 20, that all foods are clean. Jesus said that which proceeds out of the mouth of man, that is what defiles man. And so he addressed that as those were teaching against that. And so the issue of food obviously understood here. But the focus of of today is we're talking about marriage, specifically what God has created for marriage. We believe that God created marriage and the sex of marriage to be enjoyed by a husband and wife alone within the sanctity and the unity of marriage between each other. We see this grounded in God's creative order from the beginning, as in Genesis 1, 27 through 28, we're told that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. I don't know if there's been any other time than the time we live in, and I know every truth and every verse in the Bible is significant to every time and every period, but, but in the period we live in, I, I can't imagine a more significant verse than this one. Verse 27. Now, the misview and, and the misguidedness and misthoughts, the falsehoods of our day when it comes to, to gender. And to recognize, yes, a struggle in, in the reality of it and and the depth of it, and it's, it's real. But what's the truth, and what's the loving truth that, that we've got to know here is that as we read a text like that, how significant it is that, that you and I, we are not our own. We're not our own. That our true identity as, as male and female persons is something that's gifted to us by God. It's given by God. And so it's not only foolish, but but hopeless to try to make ourselves what God did not create us to be and and seeking a different identity specifically a different gender rather than the one we're born with and we see that even our day and that's that's part of the conversation it must be as some struggle with identifying as as transgender and and so we must understand okay so where, where does our gender come from God has granted it to us he's gifted it to us from the very beginning and we should not attempt to change it whatsoever recognizing yes there is a struggle for some and and the struggle is real and we must deal with it but I think the best way to deal with it lovingly in truth and pointing to the truth of God's word and so it says that God blessed them back in Genesis 1 and 27 to 28 and God said to them be fruitful and be multiply fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then what did God say on this sixth day of creation? God looked at everything and said, it's very good, including the creation of man, including creation of, of gender, of male and female, including their role to be image bearers of their creator. But not only that, to be fruitful and to multiply. Yes, as a husband and wife, to create a family through the gift of sex to marriage and to enjoy that and to multiply as a family, as children are raised up to be image bearers in the world of who God is. 
And so what's the means of how God would do that? We see that in chapter 2. Obviously, he would do that through marriage. In verse 24 of Genesis, he says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father, his mother, be joined to his wife. Thou shall become one flesh. And so we see the picture of, well, God created female and male, male and female to be joined together in this marriage relationship, this one flesh relationship, be fruitful and multiplied, be image bearer. But just as those in Paul's day were trying to take and steal away something that God created to be enjoyed within marriage in itself and also the sex of marriage that obviously is implied here as well, that in our day we've seen it in many forms as well through the ripping off of the curtains of the sacred marriage bed and have turned this great God-glorifying gift to marriage into something cheap, something sinfully misused. And so as the lie in Paul's day, we also see the lies in our day, and especially with the struggle of sexual morality. We see it. And we must guard our own lives and guard our marriages against it. Sexual immorality is any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. Our world has taken sexual desires, which were created alone for marriage. And he's directed them, um, the world has, away from the marriage covenant. And towards sexual morality, you think about the purpose of the enemy. Even the enemy, his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And we'd see that with every good gift of God, and especially the gift of marriage and sex toward marriage. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 3 through 5, For it is the will of God, your sanctification. So if anybody ever asks you what's God's will, it's holiness. It's to be set apart for the purposes of God, for the will of God. And he specifically says here, in the area of sexual morality, that you would abstain. So if there's any abstaining, according to what Paul would say, it's abstaining from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own body, his own vessel, in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. And so real simply this morning, we're not to have sex outside of marriage, be involved in any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. And Jesus also address this, not just as a physical act, but also something with the mind and something with our thoughts. As he says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 28, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so the lies of the enemy that come to steal that which is good try to tempt us to take that which is good outside of marriage. This includes heterosexual immorality, but also what we see today is homosexual immorality as well. Paul talked about those who had exchanged the truth of God for a lie in the book of Romans. And it included those involved in, in homosexual immorality also. In Romans chapter 1, 26 through 27, listen now, Paul speaks of those who've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. He says, women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman. They burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men, committing indecent acts, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. 
And so we Paul addressing this. We know God has made sex, the gift of sex, for male and female only to enjoy within marriage. As Leviticus 18.22 tells us, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. It's an abomination before the Lord. These go against God's intended purposes. For what God has created sex for between a male and a female. And so here we have Paul addressing asceticism. And here we see the lies in our own day. And what, what do both do? They, they steal. They take away from what God has given. Something good to marriage. They both steal it. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants us to be misguided about truth. He wants us to drift. And as singles and married couples as well, we must guard ourselves against immorality, any kind of it. And to live in purity, just as Paul says, it is God's will that you would be pure, that you would be sanctified, that you would be holy, that you would live in purity. Now this isn't a hammer this morning as we talk about the false teachings, we think about the false beliefs and immorality and it's definitely, definitely pressing some issues that we see evident in our day of all degrees of sexual immorality. It's not a hammer coming down this morning, but it's truth. And Paul says, what about truth? To teach the truth, to share the truth, to speak the truth in what? In love. And so teaching the truth is a very loving thing, very loving thing. Recently, the church in America has come out with a statement. Those who believe, according to the same doctrines of faith that we hold dear here at the Ridge that are essential to us, uh, recently came out with, with a statement. It's called the Nashville Statement. It's very similar to uh, documents and creeds that the church puts out. And I think it's a very good practice. It's good for the church to do. And recently, a, a statement came out from this Nashville gathering where, where six men started with the writing of this and then uh, hundreds of other men's and, men and women of same like belief who hold the same beliefs. We did a statement about uh, biblical sexuality and, and I don't know if you've seen it before and if it's come out in the last few weeks, if you've seen it in your uh, different online ventures, that emails that come to you, but as you do see it to know that this is a document of truth and I love the document because it's very gracious. And it talks about the gospel, it talks about Christ, and talks about exactly what we're talking about this morning. And, and as Paul had to deal with asceticism of how we deal with immorality in our day as well, and, and stating what the truth is, we've got to know it so we don't be led astray. And we also know that as we talk about different degrees of immorality, that God's grace is big. That the grace of God is sufficient to forgive all sexual sins. To forgive power for holiness to all believers who struggle with it, who feel drawn into sexual sin. That God gives us the power by his grace to overcome it. God in Christ enables sinners to forsake sexual sins, whether it's heterosexual, whether it's homosexual immorality. He gives them power. Now, I've seen this. I've seen even in my own family, one dear family member who, who battled with immorality, uh, homosexual immorality for, for 30-something years. 
and, and to see how God took this man and changed his heart, and caused him to repent and to walk with the Lord. I've seen on the other side of, of those who, who struggle with heterosexual sexual morality as well and, and how God gives them the help. God gives them by His Spirit the help to overcome, whether it's lustful thoughts, whether it's sexual morality of taking sex outside of marriage and being to overcome by His power. And so Jesus enables us. He enables us to forsake those sins. As I read this as well, I'm reminded of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 as he was addressing such issues in the church. And he said, do not be deceived. He was talking about those who will inherit the kingdom of God, and he says, those who are unrighteous will not. But he says, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminates, or those who um, lean toward feminine uh, qualities as, as male uh, nor homosexual, uh, homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And listen to what he says there. Such were some of you. And I think we must remember that, that, that we all have, have battled with sin of some degree. The Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what I love about this text in verse 11, such were some of you, as he's telling the church, but he says, you were washed, you were cleansed, and that's what the gospel does, but you were sanctified, you were set apart now for the purpose of God. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. And so there's power in the gospel to take these falsehoods, to take these lies that Sometimes we get trapped in, sometimes others get trapped in. And the power of the gospel comes and changes. Changes people's life so that they forsake such immorality. You see, the world tries to steal what belongs to believers. But as Paul says clearly here, that everything created by God is what? It is good, including the gift of sex to marriage. So, so how do we receive his good gifts. Listen to what he says lastly this morning. And the last point I want us to make, look at verse four through five. How do we receive God's good gifts? And he tells us here in these two verses, for everything created by God is good. And we saw that in Genesis chapter one. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. Now, something to address here. Paul was all for denial, a self-denying. He understood that as part of a disciple, that if you want to come after Christ, you deny yourself, take up your cross, and you follow Jesus. So he was all for self-discipline. He definitely understood that, but, but not asceticism. It wasn't for that. But definitely when it came to immorality and sins, he was for that. And so he says here, nothing is to be rejected if it is created by God for, for good. It is to be received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. So think about that for a second. Because of the way the world has treated the gift of sex to marriage, Christians will also often think that sex is something we should not discuss or, or talk about, even to the point of thinking maybe Christians should have nothing to do with it. So what happens is we never talk about the truth of it and what God has created it Four. Paul, though, says the complete opposite here. 
He says the world has stolen, was belonged to Christians because sex belongs to God and God created for marriage to be received with what? What does he say here? With thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Solomon spoke about this. He gives us a picture of, of how this is to be received and to enjoy. In fact, in Proverbs 5, 18 through 21, listen to what Solomon is. He gives a word of advice. A word of wisdom to his son as he passes this truth down to generation. He says to his son, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. And so the celebration of marriage, the enjoyment of, of marriage. He says, as a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. As he talks about marriage here and the enjoyment of this gift that God has blessed to marriage and sex. He basically tells, hey, husband and wife, be, be intoxicated with each other's love. Enjoy the relationship. Enjoy it. And he says, for why should you, my son, the great word of wisdom here, be accelerated, or accelerated with an adulteress's embrace, bosom of a foreigner, Why? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. So basically he tells his son, hey, listen, do not take the gift that God has given to marriage and sex outside of marriage. Any sexual activity. It wasn't created for anything but marriage. I love this illustration. I'm going to steal it. Uh, Scott Berthel, is that okay, man? Where are you, man? <laughs> I was talking to Scott before, and I love this illustration. I heard before, and... I love it, but you think about it in this way. It's cold outside. Man, you have some people over, right? And it is cold inside the house, and you're like, hey, listen. Um, it, they say it's cold in here. So you're like, okay, well, I'll light the fire. And so what if you just took a match and just threw it on the couch and said, all right, here's a fire. I'll just light the couch on fire. It'd be fun. All right, we'll just go over here at the corner, and there's, you know, a curtain hanging from the window. We'll just light that up. Let's, let's make this place warm in here, right? And I think what Solomon's telling him is his son here is, hey, listen, God has, has created this, this great gift, right? And, and just like when you light a fire, you, you put it in its proper place in the fireplace. And that's what God is saying to his son. Hey, listen, God has created the great gift of sex for marriage. And marriage alone to be enjoyed, as Solomon says here, between a husband and a wife. And so the Lord sees all. This is what he says, for the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. What I love about that verse is it's not only the idea that the Lord sees all, but he sees what's shared between a husband and wife. And how does he see it? As worship. As worship. A as a delight. As it's received in gratitude before the Lord. Remember the word of Paul in 1 Corinthians 10.31 that he shares with the Corinthian church. He says, whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And that includes the gift of sex for Marriage. And so within marriage, we receive this great gift of sex with thanksgiving, with thankfulness to God for his good gifts, remembering 
that they come from him. And therefore, we treat them and see them as set apart for what? Our benefit, our enjoyment, as we see Solomon talking to his son about that. We recognize that God has sanctified, that he has set apart his good gifts to us when we pray, giving thanks to them. As we reflect on the scriptures that tell us they come from our God and our Father for our benefit and ultimately for his glory. Think about why you're going to sit down at lunch today and, and why do we say grace? Why do we give thanks? Why? One of the reasons is, is this passage right here. Because we're saying what? God, we recognize that you're the giver of all good gifts, including food. And we want to receive it with thankfulness. G.K. Chesterton said this. He says, you may pray for your meal. And he says, I do too. But he says, I also pray before the play. He says, I, I pray before the opera. I, I pray before I open a book. I, I, I pray before I fence. I, I pray before I box. I pray before I dance. And so I think what Paul would say too is we pray and give thanks also for this gift to marriage that God has given us as well in sex. And so we give thanks. That's how Paul says to receive this gift. So what's the message of Paul today? I think real simply, and the message for us is for our marriages as well, is that we do not drift. That we do not drift in our spiritual life. We do not drift in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That we continue to adhere to the truth of God. That God's word that is breathed from him, his inspired word that teaches us and trains us in all righteousness and trains us every good work that he has created for us that you and I would not drift away from his truth and that we would understand that he has given us good gifts he gives good gifts and he has given a good gift to marriage one that is to be enjoyed in the bounds of marriage but not outside of it and that as we know the truth and as we live by the truth, as we communicate the truth, that we communicate that truth in a very loving and a gracious way, but we don't give in to falsehood. We don't give in to lies. But we know for the best of others is the truth. And that is loving. We also know this, that the grace of God has given us great gifts, many great gifts, but none greater than his son Jesus. Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. One of the things Paul will tell Timothy to faithfully communicate and that through Christ's death and resurrection, forgiveness of sins, all types of sins, struggles that we've talked about this morning, that the cross is sufficient, that his grace is sufficient and to grant us eternal life. It's available to every person, every person who repents from sin and trusts in Jesus as their Lord and Savior and his, their supreme treasure. That's what Christ offers to us. And so today, we celebrate the greatest gift given to us in Jesus. We're gonna come in just a few moments and celebrate communion together. I encourage you to come and remember what Christ has done so that we can know the riches of his grace, the greatest gift of all in his son. And let's pray.